Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. We are currently going through a sermon series on the kings of Judah. Um, and today we're looking at the rise and the fall of King Uzziah, who is the 10th king of Judah. And he reigned for 52 years in total. Um, and his his name, Uzziah, means my strength is in God. Um, and when he began reigning, his father was still reigning. Um, and at the end of his reign, his son took the throne. So it's kind of the equivalent of Prince Charles taking the reign when Queen Elizabeth was still here for the last 24 years. That was that 1999, quite easy to work out when you could do your math. <laughs> um, and then towards the end of his life, Prince William taking the throne for the last 10 years of his life. Um, And King Uzziah was a man of war. So we're told that he went out and made war with his neighboring regions. And he had an army of over 300,000 fighting men. Um, For most of his life, it seems that God was with him. And primarily, he's a good king. But similar to King Asa, who we looked at a few weeks ago, he starts really well and he ends bad. And we're going to look at this passage in 2 Chronicles 26. We're looking at the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles because you get detail in both books. But for this particular king, you get more detail in 2 Chronicles 26. And we're going to firstly look at the good start that he had. So it should come up on the screen. Um, There we go. Isaiah was 16 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So the Bible's telling us that he set himself to seek God. And he was instructed in the fear of God by the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah's a book in the Bible. We know he's a really amazing prophet. So this guy has got a good teacher. And we know from Proverbs 9 verse 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So as we look at his life, we can see that the fear and the holy respect for God is really what blesses and protects him. And we're told at the start of his reign, verse 5 that we just looked at, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now keep that in your heads. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And we also hear in the text how he became really famous. Verse 8 says his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became really strong. And we read verses 9 and 10. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle, and he fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and he cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in the Shephelah and in the plain. He had farmers and vine dressers in the fields and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Verse 15. He, in Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men, to be on the towers and the corners, to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. 
So we're learning that this king trusted in God. He had a really great spiritual advisor, the prophet Zechariah. And we're learning that he's an entrepreneur. He's building strategic towers. He's strengthening the weak areas of Jerusalem against enemy attack. And he's investing in um, innovative machines. And he's strong. Things are going well for Isaiah. But things take a bad turn. If we look at verse 16, which again should come up, yep. I'll read it to you. It says, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered to the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah, the priest, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord, who were men of valor, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will, be, it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. <coughs> then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry, 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 with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests and in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they rushed at him out quickly. And he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Bad end. <laughs> now, so often, success can bring pride. We've seen it in so many films or books or real-life examples. I'm sure all of you have seen examples of pride. And whether you read the Bible or not, I'd guess that the majority of us in the room, or Westerners at least, have heard the phrase, pride comes before a fall. It's taken from the book of Proverbs. It's a proverb of Solomon. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty, which means like arrogant, a, a haughty spirit before a fall. And it's so common that we hear about this in books and plays and films because it's so relatable and we're so used to seeing it. And pride can work in two different ways. The first way we've probably heard about is when someone becomes so confident in what they've achieved or who they are or maybe a title they've been given or a job they've done or money that they think that they're somehow better than the people around them, and that people around them should treat them like they're better and give them special treatment. But there's also another way that we can be proud, and that's false humility, when we think, we kind of think that we're not good enough and we're not good enough for God to forgive us. The things that we've done, God can never forgive us for, or maybe things that have done to us, like, no, no God will never forgive that, that thing that's been done to me. And really, what that is is still pride. It's saying, my opinion is more important than God's. God can't forgive me, even though he's saying he would love to forgive us. Um, and both of them are pride, and both of them we can fall prey to. Now, I was having a conversation through a work situation with a comedian and an actor. And um, this is not a joke. 
I walk into a room with a comedian. No, it's actually a work, a work situation I was in recently. And the comedian was talking about perceived value in people. And he said, you get normal people. And he literally was standing there. He said, you get normal people, and then you get comedians, and then you get actors. And I was like, huh? I was kind of like fascinated, but also a bit disturbed that he'd placed comedians above normal people and then actors above them. And um, I was thinking, does that mean that it, what you achieve in your career or your status or your money or your, your celebrity status means that you're better than the people around you? Um, surely it's what you do with that power, because you can get people that have a lot of power, but then they use it for good. And if the actor... Now, I mean, I'm sure it inflated his ego at the time. But if he then goes around thinking he's two steps, quite literally, above everyone else, he, he's very prone to pride, and he's also prone to a fool. Because imagine living with that kind of pressure, that you're, you're better and that you've got to live up to this expectation. It just must fill you with anxiety, because you can't, none of us are perfect, and actually, we're all, before God, we're all equal. Um, so he would and could spend a lot of his time just trying to live up to that perfect reputation of being better than other people. And he can't live up to that. And it would make him incredibly anxious. Um, and the problem with thinking you're better than everyone else is that people can't confront you. They can't challenge you. Because either you think, oh, their opinion doesn't matter, or you, they face your wrath. Because you think, how dare they challenge me? Do you know who I am? Or you think, well, your opinion doesn't matter. And the problem with that is then you isolate yourself because no one can challenge you. And you're creating your own little world where no, everyone's too scared to challenge you because they're either <coughs> going to face your wrath or you're just going to dismiss them. Um, Proverbs 16, verse 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is, abo- is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Sobering. And this is essentially what King Uzziah did. When you look at his story, you see so much grace. From a really early age, he had to share the throne with his father for 24 years before he had full authority. This would have protected him from arrogance for so long. He didn't have the full throne. And he had an amazing teacher, the prophet Zechariah, who taught him the fear of the Lord and set him up on a really great trajectory. God was with him when he was in battle. He was with him as he developed the land for his people. He had such a good start, and there was so much grace on him. So where did it go wrong? In verse 16, it it says, When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord. Now, Isaiah knew, if he was under the prophet Zechariah, he knew that only the priests, the consecrated priests, consecrated means holy and clean, they have to go through a lot of rituals to get consecrated. So only the consecrated priests were allowed in the temple to burn, to offer sacrifices to the Lord. So he was being unfaithful to the Lord, and he knew it. And he was not respecting the boundaries and the holy law that was set out for him. And he was basically saying to God, I can do what I want. And he may have been thinking, God's with me. He was with me in battle. He loves me. He's given me all these blessings. I'm sure... He's going to let me do what I want. Um, But 
that's not what happened. Um, and what really happened is he was punished for what happened. Um, and what's really happened is Isaiah has forgotten God's holiness. He's forgotten his place before God. He's forgotten even the, his own name. His own name. Do you remember at the beginning I said his, his name means my strength is in God? And it's a temptation for all of us and also a wake-up call. Do we become complacent and forget how powerful God is and how holy he is? I sometimes think we wouldn't take the actions that we take if we really remembered how holy God is and the fact that he sees all things and he sees the intentions of our hearts. So even if we think in our hearts or if we daydream about doing something rebellious, whether that's lying or hiding truth from people that you love or fantasizing about another life or dreaming of being with someone who's not your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or any of these things that are just rebellious, God sees our heart, he sees the thoughts of our heart and our mind. And if you look at this passage, we notice that it's not actually clear that Uzziah burnt the incense. He just had the intention to. It says in the text, he entered the temple to burn incense. And God, in his mercy, stirred the priest to gather 80 priests of valor to go with him and confront him. Imagine what that looks like, 80 priests coming. Can you imagine if you're caught in the act of doing something wrong and 80 holy men turn up? <laughs> it's something to behold. And I, I, I was thinking, like, why did it take 80 of them, of them to turn up? And I think it shows how powerful Uzziah was. He was the king. It took 80 of them to try and stop him from being unfaithful. There's a reason why God puts holy laws in place, because we're human and he's God. The prophet Isaiah, when he comes into God's presence, he says, woe is me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. The apostle John in Revelation says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. God is so holy and so powerful. People literally fall flat on their faces when they see him, when they come near him. And God's given us boundaries to protect us from his holiness. Surely we would die if we come into the presence of the Lord, unholy. And as I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking about this. And I think sometimes, I don't know who in this room is a Christian who isn't, and I think sometimes you can have a perception of Christians that they, they just have to keep loads of rules. And I think I sometimes hear that from people. And I was just triggered as I was um, writing this and thinking about this, because I was thinking, that's, if people think that they've really got the, end, the wrong end of the stick. Um, I heard a, a sermon recently when a, a, pr a preacher was saying, it's not about rules, it's actually about symbolism. It's the symbolism that... It's not that we have to keep this, this, and this rule. It's more like we're just showing God a symbol of this is my heart. This, I'm doing this as a symbol to show my love. But actually, it's even more than that. It's like the reason we, we want to please God, the reason we want to be obedient to him, because we love him and because he 
loves us and his love is so powerful and so overwhelming that we can't help but be obedient to him. It's not that we're trying to be like these really good people that keep all these rules and they're perfect. Absolutely not. We're not perfect. We are imperfect. But we know we're loved, and so we know that if God is saying to us, it's not good for you to do these things, they we're like, okay, I trust you. Even when it hurts, I trust you. And so I would say if anyone is thinking Christians just have to keep a load of rules, come and ask us why that's not the case, because I tell you with authority it's not the case. And if you have brothers and sisters around you or people or friends or family around you that are trying to challenge you to be holy, they're not trying to control you. They're not trying to give you a load of rules or a list of things to do to be a better person. They actually love you and they're trying to bring you into a deeper relationship with God and to protect you from harm. Yes, he loves us. God loves us. But we're called to respect his power and his glory. And we can't always see that because our pride gets in the way. And our hearts can get really hardened when we're challenged. Like Isaiah, we want things to go our way. And sometimes we want to forget his holiness and his perfection because it's inconvenient. It means we can't do what we want to do. It gets in the way of us doing life the way that we want to do it. But woe to us when our hearts get hardened like that. Now, Isaiah is caught red-handed, literally, So where is the man at the beginning of the text who set himself to seek God and was instructed in the fear of the Lord? The fear of 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 the Lord, we are told, was his protection, and he's lost it. And now he's got a choice of how he reacts. So he's caught in the act. Sometimes maybe we're caught in the act. We've got a choice of how we react. He could have seen the crowd of 80 holy men telling him he was doing wrong, and he could have backed down and realized his mistake and fallen to his knees and said, I'm sorry, I've done wrong, I've made a mistake, I'm really sorry, I'm sorry God, I'm sorry to all of these priests. And and instead, what he did was, which is so tempting for all of us, when someone confronts us, and we don't want to hear it, is he got angry. And it's really interesting that earlier in this passage, I found it interesting, (laughs) that earlier in this passage, we're told, I read out earlier, that Uzziah is a man who loved the soil, does that remind anyone of anyone else in the Bible? Because for me, it reminded me of Cain. The Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's two, first two sons. And we're told that Abel kept the flocks and the livestock, and Cain worked the soil. And there's, in, in Genesis 4, it says, The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. We don't know why Cain's offering isn't pleasing to God. But what is Cain's reaction when God isn't pleased with his offering? I think it might come up. Cain, this, this is Cain's reaction. Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I find this really interesting because we all make mistakes, don't we? And when we do, we have this choice of how we react and, and, the, and this passage is telling us that if he's telling us when we mess up that sin crouches at the door do we open that door? and it's also telling us that sin's desire is contrary to us what does that mean? I think it means that we can have really good intentions to do the right thing and we find ourselves doing the thing we don't want to do the wrong thing and we can sometimes find our body doing something 
we don't want it to do, as though we had no choice. But we do have a choice. But if you suffer, if, if, if you suffer from addictions, this, power, this feeling and this power can, it can be a really powerful force that overcomes your body. And desire can be really powerful. And I think the only way really we can overcome something like that is through the Holy Spirit through repenting and turning to Jesus and, and being filled with the Spirit. Desire is powerful. And the Bible tells us that when desire is not good, you must rule over it. I think that the reason Cain's offering was rejected was because he didn't bring his best. It's interesting that both Cain and Isaiah want to bring an offering to the Lord. So Isaiah's coming to the temple to bring an offering, right? He thinks he's doing a good thing. And from the outside, it looks like he's doing a good thing. And it's the same with Cain. He's bringing an offering to the Lord. But I think on the inside, they knew they weren't bringing their best. And we too can bring an offering to God that we know isn't our best. Are we, are we, are we making him central in our life? Or are we just giving him like the leftovers? And when we realize that, we, we have a choice whether we can harden our heart or feel self-pity, or do we humble ourselves? So what happens to Isaiah? Well, he's punished for his actions. There is consequences to sin. And he gets leprosy, some kind of skin disease that breaks out on his forehead. Fascinating, it's just his forehead. Anyone that knows anything about skin diseases, they spread, right? If you get a skin disease, it moves around your body, generally. <laughs> but this one just stays on his forehead. So what is God telling us through this? The word, I looked it up, the word in the Torah, in the Hebrew Bible, come, turns up only 13 times. And I looked through all the cases where it turned up, and I see a really special thread of a declaration of God's holiness triumphing over man's hardness of heart, man and woman's hardness of heart. And the first reference is when God describes the holy garments that priests should wear in the temple. The high priests are, are to be made a plate of pure gold that goes across their forehead with the words, holy to the Lord. Exodus 28:38. Did I give you this on the slides, maybe? Exodus 28:38 says, if the gold plate... It, sorry, the gold plate, shall be on Aaron's forehead, and that's where the word comes, forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts, and it shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. The word is also used later to talk about the stubborn hearts of men. So in Ezekiel 3.7 it says, but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. God's sense of humor. In, this, in the story of David and Goliath, where does David aim the stone that kills the Goliath? Goliath is the giant that gets killed by David, young David. Forehead. He aims at his forehead and it kills him. There's this repeated imagery in the Bible of people having really hard heads and God overcoming that with his holiness. It's still Jewish custom today to bind a band around your, fo- your head and place holy to the Lord across it. God continues to declare his holiness over his people. 
And with Cain and Goliath and Isaiah, he shows that there's consequences to our stubbornness and our hardness of heart that defile his name. Now, it's really easy to look at all these examples and these men and judge them for their arrogance and their pride, but where are our blind spots? It's helpful for us to take a step back and think, okay, it's easy to judge others, but where are my blind spots? Where am I being hard of heart? Um, Where am I putting myself first? What words would be written across my forehead? Would it be holy to the Lord? Or would it be, I'm doing it my way? Where's our temple of worship? Where are we bringing offerings? Or where do we think we're bringing offerings? The Bible tells us that our bodies are temples, living temples. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own, but you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. When you turn to Jesus and you repent and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and we're forgiven and we're made into new creations and we're made holy, so holy that God comes and lives inside of us by his Spirit. It's absolutely mind-blowing that God, the holy God of heaven and earth, would want to live inside of us. And do we betray and defile our temple by the way we treat our bodies? Either as by disregarding them and not looking after ourselves, or by sexual sin. And for those who call themselves Christians in this room or listening online, this is a real battleground. This is an area where we can really open the door to the devil. And he will wreak havoc if you give him a foothold for you and your partner and the people around you. Let us not be foolish and arrogant like Isaiah to think that we know best, that the rules don't apply for us. Because the Bible tells us really clearly in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We are his, hallelujah. We belong to him, and his holy, holy, holy spirit lives inside of us. Let us soberly remember that and take action to make sure that we don't defile our temples and become hard-hearted and lose the precious presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, There was a recent outpouring, I've mentioned this a few weeks ago, and I'm sorry if I keep repeating it, but it really inspired me. Um, There was a pouring an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a university in Kentucky in America. And one thing that really marked out this um, moment was an emphasis on purity. And there were students that were literally queuing for hours to get to the altar to confess their sins. So why are people so desperate to get to the the altar, to get to God, to tell them about all the bad stuff that they've done? Why would they do that? Because the presence of God was so strong and powerful there that they felt his holiness, that his presence was so incredible and glorious that they wanted to get rid of everything that separated them from his love. They saw that they could be forgiven, that they could have a clean slate, they could start again and be made holy and receive the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And they saw the joy. I heard that the joy that was experienced in that room where people were just confessing their sins, the joy that came was like palpable. These people knowing that their sin didn't count them against them anymore and they were free. 
So what happens to us if we choose not to confess our sin and live with pride? Well, that's what Isaiah did. It's a really sad story if you read it. He keeps his stubborn heart, he never repents, and he never says sorry. The man who started out strong became really weak, and he was a leper to the day of his death. He lived as an outcast in a separate house, excluded from ever going back to the house of the Lord, and he was buried in the field of the kings in a separate grave. I think as a testimony to those who disobey God will be separated. But there was another man who lived on this earth and died rejected and outcast. And he was a king too. And he was buried outside the city walls. But he was innocent. And he had a soft heart. And he kept the holy law of God perfectly. And he never sinned. And he only did what God told him to. He never once profaned the temple or his body, and he was holy in all of his ways. And he chose to be rejected and die a brutal death, lonely, humiliating, with people looking on and mocking him. He chose to be punished for sins that he didn't commit, and he took the punishment of death that was meant for you and me, for the mistakes that we made, and he paid the full price for them on the cross, so that we could be forgiven and that our sins wouldn't count against us. He even took the punishment for those he knew would hate him and reject him. It's the biggest display of humility that's ever been known. It's Jesus, our King, the Lamb who took away the sins of the world. Uzziah was a king who was given an amazing holy prophet to guide him, but he wanted more. We all want more, don't we? we give, when we're given good things, we just want more. And um, he wanted to be a priest as well and go and serve in the temple. Jesus was the high priest, the highest priest and prophet and king. And lots of the kings that we've studied in, in this series give us a glimpse of what a good king could look like, but they never quite make it. Like you and me, they're flawed and they need rescuing. And we all need rescuing. And until we have the humility to recognize that we're outside of God's grace and forgiveness, then we won't reach that forgiveness and grace until we admit and repent of our sins. And like Uzziah, we'll miss out on all the beautiful things that God has planned for us. He has so many beautiful things planned for us if we just trust and obey. And I know I'm not saying that as though it's an easy thing to do. I know it's hard. But he is faithful. There's a reason, there is a reason why the people in America at this outpouring of the Spirit were so desperate to get to the altar to confess. It's because of the freedom and the joy. They could see the freedom and the joy that comes when you know your sins don't account against you, that the devil has no hold on you. And Jesus is offering us today the greatest gift of holiness and freedom. And we've got a choice even today whether we choose to accept it and follow him and let his Holy Spirit come and live inside of us or to, and to help us live a, a supernatural life of holiness because let's, let's face it, we can't actually do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to be holy and obedient. Or we'll be like Isaiah and we'll just stay proud and stubborn and keep doing things our own way. And there's a point in your life generally where you make that decision, I'm going to follow Jesus or I'm going to do things my way. But I feel like even when you've chosen to follow Jesus, you have to wake up every day and follow him again 
recommit to stay holy because we're going to face pride daily. Pride will try and trick us daily to doing things our own way. But let's not, let's not just make a God up in our head that fits with us and what we, yeah, God, God wants me to do this. Like that, that's just someone we're making up in our head. The God of the Bible holds a high and holy standard that may feel impossible, but because, because of his love, because Jesus has made a way for us, we can actually hold to that standard by the power of the Holy Spirit. In our weakness, he is strong. And by acknowledging our weakness and our mistakes and following him, we can know the freedom and the strength of the Holy Spirit in us. We are not, let's face it, we're not any stronger than Isaiah. We're not. We're kidding ourselves if we think we are. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it by your own determination. Even if you're a really good person, you cannot do it by yourself because we're flawed. But all we need to do, it's very simple, even if it's hard, is to trust Jesus and let him into your life. Let him soften your heart. Let him renew your mind. Let him teach you that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. I'm just going to pray and just let God decide what to do next. Um, yeah. Yeah, Lord, I thank you for the freedom that you bring. I thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross that paid all of our debts and paid for all of our sin and everything we've ever done or even thought of doing. I thank you that your sacrifice was enough and your name brings power, Jesus. Your name brings life. You have freed us from our sins. I thank you that we can learn from King Isaiah that it's easy to be proud and to isolate yourself. And it's hard to be humble, but when we are humble, you're so quick to come and meet us in that place. And, you've, and you, you love to forgive. When we repent and turn to you, you love to forgive us. And I pray now that if there's hearts in this room that feel like hard and like scared, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and bring peace and bring healing and bring a revelation of your love that your love is so much better than life, that your freedom, let, let us taste your freedom that we might see and know that the joy and the freedom that comes from repenting and turning to you is glorious. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would have freedom to move here. If hearts need convicting, Lord, I pray you convict, and if hearts need freedom, I pray you lead them into freedom. You are a holy, holy God, and we hold you up in your holiness, and we give you freedom to move here. Thank you, Lord.